Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. We come to Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits. And all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail, but... During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. But when the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went back with his officers and brought the apostles. They didn't use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you fill Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel a teacher of the law who was honoured by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin 
and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Judas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And the apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. As we stand, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we just want to echo the words we've just sung together. Uh, You do speak still. Your word is clear. So let us hear now and do your will, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please sit down. And if you could uh, turn back in your Bibles to uh, Acts uh, chapter 5, page 1097. And our passage begins at verse 12. Now, what stops us from speaking? Uh, What is it that silences us? Uh, Sometimes I think it's not the most obvious things. Uh, I went to see the film uh, Gravity uh, recently, which is an excellent film, strongly recommend it. Um, And it's about a space shuttle mission that goes badly wrong uh, when uh, the craft is hit by lots of space debris. The collision also wipes out all communication with mission control uh, down in Houston. And uh, there are two surviving astronauts, and they speak over and over again to the controller, but there's no response. It's a very tense way of starting a a film. Uh, These two people utterly abandoned in space, uh, with seemingly no way even of calling for help. Most of us, I suspect, in a situation like that, after a few failed attempts, would give up trying to call out, trying to speak, and uh, give in to despair. A lack of response is usually enough to silence anyone. I've uh, also been out to the Ukraine over this uh, last week or so, and it was uh, sobering to be reminded there of the kind of persecutions Christians faced back in the Soviet era. Uh, That's a very obvious way of keeping people silent, uh, physical force and oppression. But now, in the post-Soviet era, there are different forces at work, Now Christians are are free to speak, uh, but too often they don't. So that's quite interesting, isn't it? Why do they not speak out when they can? 
Well, they face the same problem now that we face in this country. Speaking about Jesus now might not land them in jail, but it might well provoke laughter, ridicule and mockery, or it might provoke simply nothing at all. Like those astronauts in the film, uh, we speak and we speak over and over again and there's nothing in response. So what's going to get us speaking again? Well, I hope very much that we've already seen in this uh, series from the book of Acts. The whole of Acts is here to give us confidence uh, to speak and to speak of Jesus. That's very much true of our passage from Acts chapter 5 this morning, where the the apostles are are literally free, free from jail, in fact, to speak about Jesus. And that's going to encourage us to speak about him too. I wonder if uh, you were thinking uh, when this was read to us a little earlier, haven't we heard this all before? Sounds rather familiar, it's true. In fact, back in chapter four, we had uh, something very similar, healing done by Peter, then a trial in front of the religious council, the Sanhedrin. So if you like, this is the second time around. In our passage, we've got uh, healings and miracles by the apostles, followed by a trial in front of the Sanhedrin. It's been quite tempting for me, in fact, to preach the same sermon again that I preached a few weeks ago, especially since I'm just back from the Ukraine. However, having said that, there are some new things here and a very different emphasis. And perhaps the most obvious thing, the most important thing here, which you may have noticed as it was read, is that the scale of it all is much greater. Back in chapter four, we saw one man healed. Here, Verse 12, the apostles perform many miraculous signs and wonders. Back in chapter 4, Peter and John were arrested and then released with a warning. Uh, But here in chapter 5, the opposition has intensified. When the religious authorities hear what the apostles have to say this time, verse 33, they are furious and want to put them to death. And uh, they only release the apostles reluctantly after having them flogged. So Luke, the author of Acts, is doing what anyone might do if they want to show that something is growing. So if I wanted to prove to you, for example, that I'd uh, put on weight in the Ukraine, uh, one thing I might do is take a snapshot of myself at the beginning of the trip, and then a snapshot of myself at the end, and I'll be able to show you a a noticeable difference. And uh, we might conclude that if I were to stay in the Ukraine and to be fed borscht and schnitzel and mashed potato at the same rate, even for breakfast, uh, then very quickly I'd be uh, simply enormous. You just take a snapshot at the beginning, a snapshot a little later, later on, and you can see the growth. That's what we've got here in the book of Acts. We've got the snapshot in chapter four, a snapshot a little later in chapter five, and we can see the growth. We can see the scale of what God is doing and see how it's increased dramatically. The scale of the opposition has also increased. And uh, we should conclude that both those things are likely to grow and increase from this point. So the emphasis now is very much on the kind of confidence we should have from knowing that we're involved in something that God himself is growing and protecting. Uh, Our confidence that's not put off by the also growing opposition. Otherwise, Luke's purpose here is once again to loosen our tongues and to give us the confidence to speak out the apostolic word But this time, their confidence is because it's the apostolic word in particular that has the power to give life and give it in abundance. And it's the apostolic word in particular that has the power to overcome opposition, even growing opposition. 
Now, before we look at those two points, uh, it's probably wise to remind ourselves what exactly is this apostolic word, the apostolic gospel? What's the message that the apostles have been authorised to proclaim? Well, we've had it spelled out for us a number of times already in the book of Acts, but um, you'll find it here summarised in verses 30 and 31. This is what the apostles say. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. Or if you want it put even more concisely, uh, look down at verse 42. This is, uh, if you like, Luke's executive summary for busy folk like us here in Fullwood. The apostolic word is the good news that Jesus is the Christ. The good news that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins and give life to those who change their minds, believe that good news, and come to him for that forgiveness. Those who refuse to do that, the apostles are continually telling us, must count themselves among his enemies, those who killed him, and will face the consequences. And the first thing we're going to learn from this passage, from verses 12 through to 16, is that it's that word in particular that has the power to give life. The apostolic word. This is our first point. Luke wants to give us confidence to speak out that apostolic word because it's the apostolic word that has the power to bring life. It's the apostolic word that has the power to bring life. Just look in these verses at God demonstrating the authorities that apostles have been given. And it is an authority to give life. And that's signified in the kind of miracles that they're doing. So verse 12, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers met together in Solomon's colonnade. Uh, Our translations, uh, you'll see there, uh, then read, uh, no one else dared uh, join them, which is a, a little confusing Um, A better translation might go something like this. None of the rest of them dared join them, but the people regarded them highly. Okay, so they're meeting together. The believers are meeting together. None of the rest dared join them. The rest are probably the the non-believers, like the temple authorities who dared not come close, who dared not join in, uh, perhaps because they feared the crowd. But there were many who did join in, many people who did come close. And verse 14, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. People brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits. And all of them were healed. It's a scene which should immediately remind us of the great scenes of healing in the Gospels when the crowds would gather from all the surrounding regions to Jesus to be healed and to have demons exorcised. Those miracles gave us a little glimpse into the future that Jesus was proclaiming and bringing about and has brought about and brought near through his death and resurrection. A future without illness or death where evil is completely defeated. We were saying it a few weeks ago, these were little bursts of normality breaking into a broken and dysfunctional world. World. They were signs 
which said to the people, if you want to be a part of that future, if you want to find that kind of life, you will find it in Jesus. Similarly with the apostles here in Acts chapter five, the miracles say to us, if, you, if we want to be a part of that, well, we will find it from them, from their message. We will find it from them as they proclaim the good news that Jesus is the Christ. So we might wonder, has, has Luke put this here to give us a, a pattern of what we should expect as we do Christian ministry? Uh, some people have read these passages like that. Uh, but we can quickly, I think, say no, because even in the book of Acts, nothing quite on this scale ever happens again. Nothing like this happens again. And as we look across history, church history, nothing like, quite like this ever happens again. Now this is here as a demonstration. This is here as a demonstration of the power and authenticity of the apostles and therefore the message that they proclaim. That demonstration doesn't need to be repeated over and over again. This will suffice. This will suffice to show the power of the apostolic message to grow and to bring life and that restoration of normality in the future. Now, I guess one of our problems in Fullwood today is that because we often can't physically see the power of the apostolic word to grow and bring life, we we lose confidence in it. Uh, The apostolic word is preached in this church family every week and uh, throughout the week as well. uh, But although we're grateful for those who do come to hear it, and uh, so thank you again for joining us uh, this morning, Well, we've got to be realistic, haven't we? It's not as if the whole city is queuing up at the doors to hear. And if we're not careful, because we don't see the growth, we don't see the power, we might lose our nerve. Uh, It's been a problem throughout church history. Back in the 19th century, people lost confidence in the apostolic word. They feared people would mock it and turn away from it in a supposedly scientific age. So they stripped down the message, stripped down the message of life and turned it into merely a message about being nice to one another. We're still reaping the effects of that in the Church of England today. In cross-cultural missionary settings, people have lost confidence in the apostolic word. They have changed it and changed it into a message, for example, about finding health and prosperity now rather than eternal life uh, later. And sure, when you do that, the numbers sometimes go up in the short term, but then quickly collapse when people realize they've been conned. Here in Fullwood, we are under pressure all the time to abandon the apostolic word. Remember that the apostolic word proclaims forgiveness of sins in Jesus and the judgment of sins apart from him. But people in the UK today don't like hearing about that. They don't like hearing about sin and judgment. We might not like hearing about sin and judgment. We might then be tempted to change the message. But the book of Acts is here to help us keep our nerve. It's here in part to help us check that our message is the genuine article, the genuine apostolic word. Uh, much as I might uh, check the authenticity of this five pound note. 
Uh, there are various different ways of checking the authenticity of a five-pound note. Uh, how do I check whether this is genuinely issued by the Bank of England? Uh, well, one of the ways is to put it under an ultraviolet light. And if it's genuine, there's an otherwise invisible green and red pattern five on the notes, which will shine out brightly. It will fluoresce against a dull background. Likewise, with the message that we preach, is it genuine? Or we place it under the light of the scriptures. Is it the same message that the apostles preached? If so, then these verses will make it shine out as an authentic message of life. Pointing us forward to that restoration of life in the future. The message links us to the apostles. And these verses confirm that the apostles were sent by God to announce ahead of time that restoration of life in Jesus Christ. A lot of the time we don't see that power as we preach it. But check the message out against the scriptures and in bright fluorescent letters we should see the word life. But even if we're reassured that our message is the genuine message, uh, the apostolic, genuine apostolic article, we still, I guess, might lose confidence Because when the apostles first spoke that word, it provoked a great deal of hostility, just as it did for Jesus before them. And we too may lose confidence because of the kind of reaction we create or provoke. Uh, That then takes us to the the second part of our passage. This is verses 17 through to 41. And this is going to help us to have the confidence to speak out because the apostolic word, and the apostolic word uniquely has the power to overcome. The apostolic word has the power to overcome. It's obvious, I guess, with rising numbers, rising activity, comes rising hostility. What the apostles have done provokes jealousy, jail, threats of death, and physical abuse. Verse 17, then the high priest and all his associates who are members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. Over the page in verse 33, when they heard this, uh, that is when the authorities heard this and they heard the apostolic word, they were furious and wanted to put the apostles to death. Verse 40, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Ordinarily, I guess this would be enough to silence anyone. But the apostles in this passage are not silenced, far from it. And uh, let me give you three reasons from this passage why the apostles are not silenced by that opposition, but still continue to speak out. And that should encourage us to do the same. First of all, of course, because this kind of opposition should be no surprise to them, was no surprise to them, because they are followers of Jesus. As Jesus himself said, no servant is greater than his master. As they treated Jesus, so they will treat his followers. Verse 17, the apostles incite jealousy in the religious establishment, just as Jesus did. Verse 33, the establishment want to kill the apostles, just as they wanted to kill Jesus. And then at the end of the section, verse 40, they flog the apostles, just as Jesus was flogged. 
These are all reminders about the connection between what the apostles are doing and what happened to Jesus. But are they put off? No, they're not. Verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, the name of Jesus. Second thing, they're not silent because of the direct command of God. This is back in verse 20. The angel of the Lord comes to the apostles in jail and commands them this. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. And so they have two orders, I suppose. They have an order from God and they have this order from the Sanhedrin. Which are they going to choose Well, they are not silenced despite those strict orders of the Sanhedrin. Listen to Peter, verse 29. We must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. And third, and I suppose this is most striking in this passage, the apostles are not silenced because they experience personally and they trust the power of God to make his word and message known experience this first of course when they're miraculously released from the jail during the night an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out daybreak they entered the temple courts as they've been told and began to teach the people again as they've been told there's quite a comedy moment as the officers go and check the cells Verse 23, they find the jail securely locked. There are guards standing at the doors. But when they open them, there's no one inside. Uh, Imagine uh, you are one of those uh, guards. Imagine you have to report that back to the the captain and to the authorities. It would be very hard, wouldn't it, to find precisely the right words. Imagine them all melting in disbelief and fury, perhaps, until they see it for themselves. Now, the apostles also experienced this power of God in a more subtle way a little later on in the passage. When they speak the the apostolic word at their trial, the council is furious, want to put them to death. But then a Pharisee named Gamaliel stands and speaks. And uh, the key part of what he says is in verses 38 and 39. This is his advice to the Sanhedrin. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will not be able to stop them. You'll only find yourselves fighting against God. If this is from men, says Gamaliel, leave it. It'll pass as it has passed before. If it's from God, then don't fight. It will be unstoppable. It's a very good uh, argument for any Christian to make against a religious oppressor, uh, which I guess is why Luke has included it here at some length. It's also very reassuring for those who are being oppressed. If we know we have the authentic message of God, then we also know this. No one, no one will be able to stop it. Now, if the kind of response uh, we here in Fullwood got to proclaiming this apostolic word uh, were like the, the, the kinds of responses we see in Acts chapter 5, then I think it would be relatively easy to see how this chapter would help us. So we might imagine in a moment that this building were um, raided by the police 
And all of us here rounded up and locked up. You know, police streaming in through every entrance, police vans out in the road, flashing lights, sirens, handcuffs, the whole business. The match then with Acts chapter 5 would be pretty close, would it not? Or, or suppose we heard that um, all of us, all of us in this room, were on the hit list of a group of religious fundamentalists. Uh, likewise, the match would be pretty good. We go away in fear of our lives, wondering as we sort of open the doors of our house whether we're going to get a bullet in the head or a knife in our back. The match with Acts chapter 5 would be pretty close. And there are, of course, Christians in the world facing such kinds of physical hostility, and it's not unheard of even in the UK. Uh, many of us, including myself, will have faced hostile reaction, act, angry reactions to the gospel. And uh, faced with such hostility, this chapter would directly help us to cope. Not that this is a promise that God will always release his people from prison, because sometimes he doesn't. Not that this is a promise that God will always providentially restrain murderous intent against Christians, because sometimes he doesn't. But this would give us confidence that our cause is unstoppable, that the apostolic word is unstoppable, because the God behind it is unstoppable. I think the difficulty we have in thinking about this passage for ourselves is for much of the time the kind of reaction we provoke is simply not quite like this. As I said at the beginning, what we tend to provoke is not so much hostility, but rather mockery or indifference. But what I want us to realise this morning is that those reactions can be just as dangerous for us. They can silence us sometimes more effectively than any active hostility. The mockery hurts our pride. It makes us feel small, so we shut up. The indifference makes us feel like we're wasting our breath, so again, we shut up. Uh, what's forming around us as we do that is, a, if, if you like, a different kind of prison. It's a prison partly of our own making, and it silences us just as effectively as four metres of concrete Uh, there's a, quite a striking moment at the end of uh, Ken Kessie's novel, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. You might know it, especially from the film. And uh, the main character, Randall McMurphy, is in prison. He's in prison for, for violence, uh, but he fakes insanity so he can be transferred to a psychiatric hospital to serve out his sentence. He's hoping that his life is going to be easier then and he's going to find it easier to escape. But he really hates it there. He really wants to get out. But the surprising thing that happens at the end of the story, the thing that really shocks him, is the discovery that most of the other inmates in that psychiatric hospital are there voluntarily. They are under no compulsion to stay there. They could walk out any moment, but they don't. It just feels safer for them in the prison, in the hospital. And uh, this is the sober truth, because we are... A little like that. I have had to admit to God as I've been preparing this, I, I am a little like that, very much like that. I'm imprisoned and silenced in many ways voluntarily because I don't like being mocked, because I get frustrated when there's no response. And it turns out in the end that the, the pressures of pride 
And frustration can be just as powerful as physical force and oppression. So what's the answer to our imprisoned condition according to Acts chapter 5? Well, I think the same principles apply as if we were facing physical hostility. Faced with mockery and indifference, we can still have confidence that our cause is unstoppable because God is unstoppable. We can still take comfort from the fact that we're following the footsteps of Jesus because when we think about it, we know that he too faced mockery and indifference as well as hostility. And uh, we can still hear the command of God to the apostles echoing down onto us, go, stand, and speak. I was trying to think yesterday of the, of the kind of situations where all of this should apply for us. And uh, I think actually there's a very simple answer to that question. And the answer is, every situation What this chapter encourages us in is that continually speaking of Jesus in any situation, in all kinds of circumstance, to all kinds of people. Not necessarily in a a, a brash, extrovert kind of way, unless you happen to be that kind of person, that would be fine. It can be quiet and measured and often the more powerful for it. It's interesting, I speak as the the beneficiary of this kind of speaking openly and continually about Jesus. The person who, humanly speaking, led uh, Catherine and me to Jesus just over 20 years ago did just this. The name of Jesus was woven through everything he said, every comment, every moment of his day, clearly on his mind, all of the time. It's very striking, very powerful. So this is the bottom line. Once we're confident that our message is authentic, you know, we've changed it against the scriptures, what does this chapter encourage? It encourages a continuous habit of speaking of Jesus, regardless of the situation and circumstance, regardless of the opposition, regardless of the mockery it provokes, regardless even of no reaction at all. Uh, It's a habit, I suppose, rather like the characters in the film I mentioned at the beginning, the film Gravity. See, although the the astronauts in gravity are getting no response from mission control, still they speak, relating and explaining everything they're doing. Uh, They preface every comment with the phrase, Houston in the blind, to to indicate that they can speak, but they can't hear back. After all, they don't know for sure that Houston cannot hear them. This is what they've been trained to do. It's part of their discipline as astronauts. They have the disciplined habit of speaking even when it might feel futile. And so should we. The disciplined habit of speaking the apostolic word, whatever, however things are, however we feel, whomsoever we are speaking to, whatever the response, be it hostile or mocking or indifferent just like the apostles in this chapter, in fact. Indeed, let's finish with them. And uh, the very striking summary in verse 42, right at the end of our passage. Uh, Verse 42, this is Luke's summary. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped 
They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to confess first and foremost that um, we are silent very often when we should speak, that we forget the uh, example of the Lord Jesus who went before us, facing just the kinds of reactions uh, that we might face. We forget uh, your command, the command of God to go and speak, and we forget the power of the word, the power of the word to overcome And we imprison ourselves in a prison of our own making as we lapse into silence. Lord, we pray for a miracle in our hearts. We pray for a release from that prison that we might have that habit of speaking continually of Jesus in every circumstance to every kind of person. And we ask it in his name. Amen.